five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Monday morning following a 30 to six bounce back victory from Alabama against Mississippi State? Good, good. You know, sometimes the bye week, I'm like, gosh, uh, after all these weeks watching Alabama play, you know, there's no Alabama game this Saturday. But you know what? I'm just going to enjoy a wall to wall football starting Thursday night, ending Sunday night. Uh, uh, that's 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 how many. That's how I'm gonna roll in my uh, bye week. Yeah, um, it's always disappointing when you don't have a a team to cover or pull for. But at the same time, there's a lot of other stuff that's going on in college football right now that you can be paying attention to if you're an Alabama fan. That could certainly affect, uh, you know, their, you know, chances of getting back to the SEC championship or or winning the SEC West or getting to the college football playoff. So I haven't really looked at the schedule too much for this week. I'm, I'm going to pull up at least the SEC schedule because I got it right here, and we'll see what is going on around the rest of college football. So interesting so, stuff. Go ahead. I'm saying there's interesting stuff. Uh, Ohio State, Penn State is the big national game by far, uh, particularly because it's at Penn State. Uh, I, I think Ohio State's going to win the game. I do. I think they're a better team than Penn State, but – if Ohio State is going to lose, I mean, this is the one, right? I mean, it's on the road. Uh, Penn State is capable. They have a highly veteran quarterback. Uh, they've beaten Ohio State uh, at home in the recent past. Um, I, I, it's conceivable, and that would make uh, the weekend interesting. Uh, and in the SEC, uh, to me, it sort of uh, starts with, uh, well, well um, uh, you know, Florida Georgia is a good traditional game. I think Georgia's probably going to smoke them. Uh, Auburn could lose again. Uh, which is always interesting as it relates to the status of their head coach. And, of course, uh, you know, to me, the, the game of the weekend is Tennessee against Kentucky. Uh, I, I'm bit, really big on Kentucky's defense. That's a physical bunch. I'm curious to see how Kentucky on defense plays Tennessee. Uh, and maybe there will be things Alabama could learn uh, from Kentucky uh, in the event of a rematch with Tennessee. I suspect Tennessee has too much firepower and will win the game but Kentucky defensively could make it close. And as we know, Tennessee's defense, not that great. Uh, Will Levis is great, and uh, he could take advantage of that. So that could end up being an exciting game. I I wouldn't be surprised at all if Kentucky manages to keep that close. Yeah, Kentucky's been pretty balanced defensively. Uh, Pretty good at stopping the run, pretty good at, you know, stopping the pass. I'd be curious to watch that game as well. Uh, And then also, as far as the SEC West is concerned, You've got Ole Miss going on the road to Texas A&M. And Texas A&M, three and four this year, a losing record. We all make fun of Jimbo Fisher and and Texas A&M for eight and four records. At this point, you're praying for an eight and four record if you're a, an A&M fan because you already got the four losses. So <laughs> can't lose again if you want to continue with that trend. It looks like it's going to be not just worse, but quite a bit worse. And then, of course, now... Jimbo Fisher's record through however many number of games that he's, you know, what is it, 58 or something? I don't know exactly what it is, but it's now worse than Kevin Sumlin. Um, Barrett Salee with CBS updated that and, and pointed that out. So at the same time, AM's backs against the wall, Old Miss, 
uh, LSU's a really good football team. Don't, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't say really good, but I think they're a good football team. But Ole Miss, to me, they struggled against some teams they shouldn't have. They struggled for quite a while against Vanderbilt. You go to College Station, hostile environment. I could see A&M maybe if they can play some inspired football uh, and, and try to bounce back with their backs against the wall. Maybe they can hand Ole Miss their second loss, and if that ends up happening, uh, that certainly helps Alabama. Granted, I guess if Ole Miss wins a couple of weeks or a few weeks or whatever, then it would still they'd still have the head-to-head, and Alabama would have two SEC losses. So I guess it wouldn't matter too much from the SEC West perspective, but that's one to keep an eye on at least. And then, yeah, what else we got? Missouri at South Carolina. Nah. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, it's Florida, Georgia. And it's Kentucky at Tennessee, and then Auburn, right. Arkansas, or Arkansas has to go to Auburn. So I guess that's a pretty good game as well. Yeah, um, I like uh, Auburn may keep it close at home. They may, I think Arkansas win that game. Uh, believe it or not, I might be in the minority here, but I, I like Texas A and M at home to beat Ole Miss, uh, who's really due for a market correction. Uh, I, I think Ole Miss seven and zero start and being ranked in the top ten is a product of their schedule. I do think they're a good football team, but uh, a good SEC football team is eight and four. So uh, Ole Miss uh, has probably a couple of losses ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, so you lose at LSU. You could potentially lose at Texas A&M. Then you've got Alabama at Arkansas, Mississippi State left if you're Ole Miss. Uh, it's very possible that they could only win, you know, one more game from here on out. I wouldn't think that that was completely outside of the realm of possibility, but we'll shift focus. I know that we kind of are on a time crunch when it comes to talking about Alabama, and they are heading into a bye week, so we'll have plenty of time to kind of look forward. Right now, this particular podcast is going to be just about Mississippi State and how Alabama looked. Jimmy, after a pretty tough 52-49 loss on the road to a, a really good Tennessee squad where you commit 17 penalties, what were your thoughts on Alabama's bounce back performance, you know, winning 30 to six on Saturday against Mississippi state? Well, defense, I give them an a plus, uh, now Saban and Pete Golding really seem to have Mike Leach's number. They seem to have solved the Mike Leach offense. Uh, they play exceptional defense against, uh, a quality offense in Mississippi state every year. And, and this year was no different shutting them out for 59 minutes and 59 seconds. Uh, and, and again, this is a Mississippi State offense that scored 40 against Arkansas, uh, 40 against a and uh, it, It's not like they, they weren't scoring. Uh, th- this is just great Alabama defense. Uh, good, you know, they uh, uh, held Will Rogers and, and that Mississippi State passing offense to over 100 yards below their normal weekly output just in the passing game alone. Uh, defense was just great. Uh, I love that DeMarco Hellams, uh, in particular, played well. Uh, obviously, uh, back in his comfort zone, doing what he does best. And when he's doing what he does best, he's exceptional. Uh, obviously, it's a bit of a struggle when a, you know, this is an old-timey term, but he's a strong safety, right? I mean, he's the safety that you play on the strong side of the field and you might, might put down in the box because he's such a good tackler. Uh, real physical against the run, good on the crossing routes as it relates to the tight end. But most strong safeties don't run with four or three receivers down the field. And and, and again, we'll, we'll beat this horse to death probably the rest of the season. But, you know, Tennessee just got just created that matchup and, and it made Helms look bad. But this was Helms doing Helms stuff. 
and he was really good. And I, I was really happy for him. And, and Clint, uh, staying on the defense, let me bring up one play uh, that to me exemplified why I'm still high on this Alabama team achieving something nice. And that's the final play. Uh, when Mississippi State scored, it was up 30 to nothing. And, and, and so much of the country, so many fans around the country go, 30 to nothing or 30 to six, who cares? I'll tell you who cares. DeMarco Helms cares. That Alabama defense cared. They didn't want to give up that last score. They wanted that shutout. Uh, they played to the standard until there were zeros on the clock. And when DeMarco Helms uh, screamed at Jacquez Robinson, uh, a young player playing at star, uh, getting, getting garbage time, playing time, but still expected to perform like he's a first-team player, uh, when Helms was yelling at Jacquez Robinson, I had flashbacks to 2012 and uh, A.J. McCarron getting on Barrett Jones and them getting a little spat when they were up four touchdowns against Notre Dame in the national championship that had already been decided. But that's Alabama being Alabama, and that's what I saw in that moment. And it, it's that moment that makes me a believer that uh, with four games to go and potentially a postseason to go, that, uh, that this Alabama team isn't done just yet. Yeah, and one thing I want to point out to people just so they can understand, I think everybody can agree Landon Collins is one of the best safeties during the Nick Saban era, right? Correct. He's getting completely torched by Jalen Hyatt as well if he's put in the same position that DeMarco Hellams was last week on the road in Knoxville where you're having a, essentially because Landon Collins, as good as he was, high second-round pick, probably should have been a first-round pick, was excellent in the NFL, continues to to play in the NFL, kind of took – he didn't take the beginning of the year off, but he wasn't signed until recently. He was brought back by the New York Giants. He's probably going to be playing a lot of, you know, pure linebacker now for them. Uh, not really, you know, as slowed down, even though he's only 28 years old, doesn't have the same amount of athleticism that he once had. But it doesn't matter how much athleticism he used to have. He was essentially good at the same things that DeMarco Hellum's really good at, except for he was just way better at it. But those are the same types of strength. They had the same weaknesses. And so you want to talk about Hellum's and, and how exposed he was. If you were super high on a guy like Landon Collins and you thought he was you know, incredible for Alabama, just understand even a, a talent like that would have gotten completely torched by a, a Jalen Hyde in that situation because you're playing – you know, first of all, you're playing so far out in space because of the way that they space you out, Tennessee does. Plus, you're playing off, you know, 10 to 12 yards. Um, you know, at least when you're one of those, you know, bigger, longer, more physical corners that Alabama has, you're playing press coverage, which means you can jam the receiver at the line of scrimmage and make his life difficult. A little bit of an undersized guy like Jalen Hyatt would have probably struggled a little bit, to, even though I think he is pretty good at getting off press. And it's difficult when, you know, he's lining up as a, you know, they're they're stacking him and doing a lot of different things. So you really couldn't press him a whole lot. But my point here is that at least those perimeter corners get to do that. And that helps. That's where their advantage is. DeMarco Helms was playing 10 to 12 yards off, letting Jalen Hyatt get a full head of steam for that 10 to 12 yards. And he's got to turn and try to run with him. I mean, good luck. Uh, it's just that's my point. In this particular game against Mississippi State, he was allowed to play a more traditional safety role, roll down into the box, you know, come downhill play physical, whether it be, you know, covering stuff in front of him, whether it be rolling down and helping, you know, in run support, whether it be on blitzes. I thought Pete Golding was a lot more creative with the way that he pressured, you know, Will Rogers in this particular game, and it certainly paid off. And uh, you got a great performance from DeMarco Helms. For, so credit 
to him. I think he was, yeah, he was second on the team in tackles with 12. He had a sack uh, and he had two pass breakups. So good on him for bouncing back. Since we're talking about bouncing back, this is kind of, you know, a completely different phase of the, of the game, but also want to give Will Riker a lot of credit too, because he went three for three. He, he knocked down a 50 yarder. Uh, I understand that none of the kicks were really high pressure situations, but last week, you know, really the last three weeks, he had missed four kicks and some of those weren't in high pressure situations either. So good on him for being able to bounce back and, and knock down all three of his field goals. Oh yeah. You're going to need Will Riker, uh, probably in these next two games on the road. I mean, again, we're going to, uh, uh, review Mississippi state, not preview the next two road games, but the fact of the matter is, as we know, no secret, don't have to be uh, uh, the greatest analyst in the world uh, to point out that Alabama's really struggled on the road and those games are likely to be close. So you're going to need Riker to make kicks in Baton Rouge and in Oxford, Mississippi. And uh, he looked good. Not only did he make the kicks, Clint, uh, they were, they were great kicks. He killed the ball. (laughs) They were dead in the middle. Uh, Just, just a a good showing, good bounce back. And, uh, and those elements of Alabama's game were outstanding. Now the offense, Maybe not so much. I mean, there were parts of the offense that were good. Bryce was good. He was the difference in the game, to say the least. Uh, Bryce was the best player on the field again. Uh, that was the reason Alabama won the game easily was Bryce Young, even though playing hurt and still not practicing. Uh, that's not inside scoop. That's Nick Saban to Holly Rowe when the game is over. So, so we can say now out loud because Nick Saban did. Bryce still isn't practicing. I think we saw on the TV broadcast uh, him continuing to get treatment on the shoulder during the game. Uh, you know, so he's struggling. He's still not 100%. He's still not practicing. I think a lot of that led to some of the Alabama issues in the pass game because as good as the pass game was and as good as Bryce was, there continues to be issues. Uh, I think there's a called play. Uh, it's got a primary receiver, probably a number two and a number three option. The offensive line gives Bryce enough time to survey the field. He doesn't like what he sees. He pulls it down, turns it into backyard football. No problem. He's really good at that. He's really good at that. And and, and Alabama's offensive line gave Bryce uh, the time to continue to make plays even after the designed play broke down. But uh, it's still an issue with with making those design plays work. And uh, I personally think a lot of it is the timing that's off because Bryce hasn't really practiced since Arkansas week, which now feels like a year ago. Uh, And and I think in that way, the pass game struggled and the run game obviously struggled. Alabama's rush numbers against Mississippi State were abysmal, and uh, it needs to be the point of emphasis moving forward, in my opinion. Yeah, you're right. And and I think that that is a a major concern um, because really – the explosive plays that you're seeing from Alabama's passing attack are on broken plays. You know, it, it's it's uh, it's Bryce Young buying Tom, then receivers getting open because it's just super difficult for a defensive back to cover a receiver for you know six seven seconds or longer in in some instances, and so that is what's concerning. Like you love that Bryce has the ability to do that, but I just don't feel like it. And I, I'm I watched the game live in person. I was sitting in a, at a spot in the press box where I didn't have as easy access to a TV to because typically what I do is I watch the play live, see what I see, and then I immediately turn to the to the television and watch the broadcast version of that play, which is a few seconds behind, 
and I'm able to, uh, you know, get a kind of a, a look at both. It was di- more difficult to do uh, in this particular game just because where I was located. And on top of that, I think that there's a lot of it, – it's difficult to watch because I would love to go back and watch the All-22 because it's going to show you the entire field and see what's happening downfield. But watching it live and then having the limited camera angles that I, I do or I did – it felt like Alabama's receivers were struggling to get open downfield. And that is, it continues to be a concern. Like there's so much talent within that group. I think you don't have any headliners right now, but from the pure like high school rankings and guys that you brought in who had college experience from the transfer portal and what you expect out of those guys. And, and, you know, I understand that we just now finally got to see Tyler Harrell, which was in pretty much mop up duty. But at the same time, it just feels like the the plays, whether it be how Bill O'Brien's scheming it up and, and it's just not good offensive design or it's receivers simply not having the ability to get open downfield. If Bryce Young is not scrambling around and creating time for his receivers to get open, I would say nine times out of 10 catches are contested. And, and when you think back to Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith, those guys were able to create a lot of separation through their route running, and it made the quarterback's jobs really easy, you know, because those guys, you see them, you see the guys come open, you throw the football. It's like if, if Bryce is not buying himself time, you know, he's throwing into windows, uh, really tight windows, and, and sometimes he gets it, and sometimes it's, you know, some dangerous throws. So that, to me, is probably the biggest concern with the offense right now from a passing game perspective, but you're right. Uh, you know, Mississippi State ran – a lot of three-man fronts. They were dropping eight quite a bit. Uh, why couldn't Alabama run the football more? Uh, that was a little bit surprising to me. And, you know, I think that some of that has to do with, you know, Jameer Gibbs. He didn't get nearly as many touches in this game, 14, 10 carries and, and four receptions. He did get banged up after the first drive and had to go to the medical tent and get some extra padding put on that shoulder. Uh, I think it was a shoulder issue. Don't think it's going to be anything long-term. He came back in the game. He still played. Maybe that's why his touches decreased compared to he had been averaging 24 touches in the previous three games, including 21 carries per game. All that stuff uh, went down quite a bit. Um, so you saw a lot more Roydell Williams, by the way. Uh, he was actually the second running back to come into the game. You saw him a lot in a lot of third down situations. Maybe that's because Jameer Gibbs was banged up. And if it's not him, maybe they trust Roydell Williams in pass protection more. I also saw him run, you know, some routes. Uh, a lot of that was him checking to see if anybody was coming. They wouldn't, and he would release. In the other instances, it was design routes. So I, I think that they might like Rodell Williams in third-down situations more than Jace McClellan when, you know, Jameer Gibbs is banged up. Or maybe that's just what they're trying to do, even if Gibbs is healthy. So the run game, the running back situation, you know, what are your thoughts on all that stuff? I think a huge, you know, I think a huge issue to me, Clint, has been third down protection by the backs has not been good. I, I, I think it's a weakness of Gibbs. I don't think Gibbs – I think Gibbs has improved as the season has moved along. I think he's better today than he was in September. But Jace is not. I mean, I'm not trying to throw the kid under the bus or be mean. I'm just I'm just calling it like I see it. And Jace has really struggled protecting Bryce on third downs. Got a holding call against Tennessee, and frankly, is a hold that was so bad, uh, he might have deserved three holding calls on one play. It was an atrocious hold. Uh, one, one, one of our few extremely well-deserved penalties in Tennessee, by the way. Uh, and, and I'm wondering if 
seeing more Roy Dell is sort of a response to that. Maybe they're they're more confident that Roy Dell can pick up that blitz on third down. Uh, we know he can catch the ball. He is also a little tougher. He's not that much bigger than, than Jace and, and Jameer, but Roy Dell seems to run inside a little tougher than those guys, and maybe that's something they need. But the rush totals this weekend, even from Gibbs, uh, which was better than Jace and Roy Dell, uh, just not good, just not good. And uh, we talked about this all summer, uh, Clint, here on the Bama on Three show, is that the running game was going to look different. In the end, the numbers would be fine, but it would look different. There would be a whole lot of no gainers and short gainers because Jameer, Jace, and Roy Dell are not outstanding tackle busters. That They need room. They need to play in space, and space isn't always going to be there. But the good news is when you give them space, holy cow, they could hit home runs, particularly number one and number two. They, they are home run hitters. That's why the numbers will be fine because, hey, whether if, if you rush, you know, 10 times and each time make six yards, that's 10 rushes for 60 yards. Well, you can rush nine times for no gain, and on your 10th run, you make 60 yards. You also have 10 carries for 60 yards. That's sort of what Alabama's run game is right now to me, Clint, is the first one's sort of better because you're consistently moving the ball. The second one's fun one out of 10 times because you made the 60-yard play and that's fun. But the other nine times, it might have led to a punt and a lost possession. So Alabama's got to work on that. I, I think down the stretch, Bryce's shoulder is going to be better. The off week comes at a good time. I think we'll see the healthiest Bryce we've seen since Arkansas, since prior to Arkansas against LSU because of this off week. But for Alabama to achieve, for Alabama to win the West and go to Atlanta, they're going to have to run the ball better than they've run it over the first eight games, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, and, and I think you can live with the explosive plays. Uh, a lot of people want to say, oh, well, if you take away, you know, Jameer's explosive plays, the run game hadn't been that great. It's like, I mean, sure, if you take away Nick Saban's six national championships, you know, he hadn't won a whole lot of national championships. Uh, I mean, that's I, – I don't understand that argument. It's part of the offense. And I, I get kind of where the, what they're trying to say with that. Like, you, you, you can't take away the explosive plays that he provides. That's kind of one of his – strongest attributes but what they're essentially saying is they want to get more consistency as far as movement in the run game and, and when you need four or five at a time you're able to get it and down the stretch you know in some of these games you know if they would have really been able to trust their ability to do that if they would have been able to trust the offense against Tennessee late in that game when you know Will Reichard ended up missing the field goal maybe it was the fact that they did feel like they needed some yardage and they didn't really trust their offense's ability to get the three or four yards closer on run plays. If that trust was there, maybe they, maybe Bill O'Brien does call some runs, and maybe they do convert some some yardage, make it a much more manageable field goal. And then it's you know either Will Rocker makes it or you're going to overtime. You know maybe that's a lack of trust. We haven't really thought about it from that perspective, but you know that certainly could you know be a part of it. And you, you wonder what it is. And I've right now. The way that I kind of do it, my first watch through, I wasn't able to do it yesterday. I typically get one quick run through on on Sundays. I'm doing that this morning, or I was before we hopped on here. And what I typically do is it's defense oriented, and I'll look at fronts and, and things like that the first time through. And then I'll just watch the offense, you know, normally and then really not do all, you know, I'll, t I'll jot down some quick notes if I notice something, but it's not really trying to analyze too much. It's just, casually observing and then I'll go back and 
do a lot more of the analytical stuff with the offense later on uh, today. But, you know, so I don't really know what the issue was as far as, you know, <clears throat> the run blocking and where the struggles were coming from. But the bottom line is, is there were struggles and it is something that they've got to be able to get fixed. Uh, I do think Bryce can handle high volume and, and really being asked to do a lot. I mean, he's proven that he can. But against some of these teams, the last thing you want to do is be too one-dimensional. And and that's something, you know, even against Georgia last year in the SEC championship, when everybody thought because Brian Robinson was banged up and all these other guys were out for the year, a lot of people thought, hey, you know, they're going to have to be one-dimensional against Georgia. And instead, they forced the ball to Brian Robinson, and he was playing at less than 100%, and it was just enough to keep Georgia honest. And, and you're going to find yourself in some of those situations, especially after the bye week, where you've got to be able to do that, and, and you've got to be able to have – uh, the ability to move the football consistently. So, yeah, I completely agree on that point. Quick question. I think it was after the first rough in the passer call, Kirk Herbstreet made the comment that uh, it was a makeup call for for Knoxville. Uh, and granted, on replay, technically, you know, he pushed him after the play. It was a very light push, but the ball was clearly out. He could have easily pulled up. He didn't. But, it, you know, it seemed a little bit ticky-tack. In your opinion, was that what the rest were doing? Was it a makeup call for Knoxville? Yes and no. Uh, now, Kirk Herbstreet's outstanding. I would never really like disagree with Kirk Herbstreet because he's. I, I couldn't have more respect for him and his opinions. This is. I, I do think it was a makeup call, but my guess is, and I have no idea, but I bet after reviewing that film and seeing that heinously missed call, there was a good chance that Steve Shaw got on the phone with every crew, the head of every crew in a conference call and said, guys, we got to call this tighter. They're doing it in the NFL to the nth degree. Maybe we don't want that. We want real football as much as we can give the fans real football. But what happened in Knoxville is unacceptable. You've got to do a better job, all of you, in protecting the quarterback. It's very conceivable to me that that call happened. Uh, that, that, that there was that directive or suggestion from the SEC office that all crews do it. Was this specific crew told, hey, watch the hits on Bryce. We, we don't want Bryce knocked around like what happened in Knoxville. I doubt it. I, I doubt it's that specific. But I think either as a directive from Steve Shaw or Greg Sankey to every officiating crew that we're going to protect the quarterbacks better or – Maybe this particular crew was aware of what happened in Knoxville last week and subconsciously like, hey, we're not going to let happen to Bryce what happened last week. We're not going to do that to the kid. Uh, maybe that happened, but I think it's the first. I, I think just like the NFL does, there are points of emphasis and things change and the head of officiating sends directives or phone calls or conference calls and says, hey, guess what, guys? Did you know that we're calling holding uh, 33% less than we called it a year ago. Are y'all telling me that everybody stopped holding? So y'all watch that this week. And then boom, what do you know? There's more flags for holding. So I, I think it's along those lines, not specific to Bryce, but a renewed emphasis around the league on protecting a quarterback. Uh, yeah, I, I think it could have something to do with Bryce. Uh, I, I agree with you in the sense that I don't think it was, hey, we need to give Bryce extra attention and, and take more care of him specifically. I don't think that was the goal. But the, what I'll compare it to is 
I never would complain to the refs when I played. If something was happening in a football game, I would just very casually walk up to the ref very respectfully and say, hey, you know, every time they're running that zone stretch to the right, that that right guard's getting up to, you know, the second level, and he's 100% got hands outside. He's holding me. He's grabbing jersey. Just keep an eye out for it, if you don't mind. And then, you know, just bringing that to their attention. Now they're, they're specifically looking for that. It would start getting called, you know, because they were actually looking for it because I, you know, I do think there's something to be said about being respectful about it. I wasn't trying to say you're terrible at your job or anything. And, you know, I think that going in, you know, opposing defenses understand how important Bryce Young is to Alabama. You know, how much is being put on his shoulders. We've seen it. We've seen what happens when he doesn't play in a football game, how rough the offense looked, and then four turnovers, including three from your quarterback and taking unnecessary sacks. And, you know, is it bounty gate or guys getting, you know, paid, we'll give you 50 grand if you're able to knock the quarterback out of the game. No, it's nothing like that. But it is a, hey, if we can get to him, and I don't think it's anything like, hey, you need to do illegal stuff to get him out. But I think it's, hey, if we can, if we can hit this guy, he's 194 pounds, he's already had a shoulder injury. If we can, you know, knock this guy around a little bit, we can maybe force him out of this football game, and then we've really got a good chance. Like, if you're Mississippi State, your number one thing going in is like, hey, I really like our chances if, if Bryce Young didn't play in this game or we could get Bryce out of this football game. So you've mm-hmm. got, with that mentality, you've got guys that are w- willing to take more chances and maybe, you know, be a step late or whatever because if they can get that right hit, you know, against Tennessee, I mean, how bad does Alabama get beat? More than likely if Bryce gets knocked out on that targeting because of a concussion, you know? So, first of all, it didn't get called, but even if it does, you get a 15-yard penalty, but Bryce is out, uh, if you're Tennessee, that's worth it. So, I'm not saying that people are trying to do dirty stuff, but there is this mentality of, hey, let's when we've got opportunities, we need to hit this quarterback because, you know, he, he's, a, he's a small guy. He's probably, you know, if you can't get hits on him, he's probably a, a lot more likely to get hurt. Whatever the case may be, I don't think it's dirty or malicious in, in in that sense. But and I think that refs are being pointed out. Hey, I think that there are teams that are in because Mississippi State roughed him three times. I mean, after the Tennessee game and what happened last week, you know, I think two of the three were, were really good calls. Either, anyways, point being, I, I just wanted to get your opinion on that because a lot of people do feel like that first one was very ticky tack and. You know, me as a, a defensive guy, I thought it was a little bit – it was technically the right call. It's just – it's like, man, anything less, and he would have blown on him and, and knocked him over. Uh, <laughs> didn't hit him hard at all. So, anyways, we'll, we'll switch to the defensive side of the football. Unless you got – you know, do you have anything else on the offense? Uh, just uh, I thought pass protection was outstanding, run blocking. Uh, when I do the uh, rewatch thread, watch for repeated – uh, review, repeated, uh, repeated, uh, critical review of the run blocking. Uh, I thought the pass protection was great. Uh, bad day for the backs too. Not sure they played well. Uh, but Bryce just great defense. Great Bryce. Great win. Great. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's survive in advance when you're, when your quarterbacks hurt. Yeah. I really think that, uh, you know, there were some guys who had really good games. I mean, I think J.C. Latham continues to be incredible at right tackle. I thought Tyler Booker bounced back really strong and and performed really well in pass protection, and he had a pretty good day run blocking. And, and here's the thing. Don't hold me to a lot of this stuff because, like I said, this is me watching through live, and I do like to try to pay attention to the offensive line as much as possible live during the game. But just my notes that I wrote down, J.C. Latham continues to be fantastic. Booker seems to look better thought Cohen looked fine. 
Dalcourt, to me, didn't look that great. Uh, I thought there was a couple of times in pass protection he looked kind of overpowered. Now, granted, technically he held his block, but he's getting driven back into the quarterback, and, and Bryce had to bail. So I think in some ways that's a win, and then in others it's like, eh, maybe not. I'll tell you right now, there's absolutely no reason. I understand he's a 6'5", 244-pound tight end, but I'm about sick and tired of seeing Cameron Latou try to block on the perimeter. In the uh, the postgame show, I brought up this point, and this is receivers across the board, but also Cameron Latou. Alabama's receivers used to take, and I'm talking about used to as in within the last couple of years, took a ton of pride in their blocking, a ton of pride in it, to the point that there was a couple of weeks ago, it was the Philadelphia Eagles, and they were playing somebody. And it was early. It was the the first drive. It, they, they're about eight or nine plays into their drive. And Eagles fans, I saw two of them on Twitter, start to complain that they're like, well, why in the world are we eight to nine plays into our first series? And A.J. Brown has not seen the field yet. Like, we traded a first-round pick for this guy. He's easily our best receiver. Why is he not on the field? And then if you go back and look, there was, you know, some heavy tight end packages, you know, some 12 personnel. I think there was even some 13 personnel where you only had one receiver on the field. Who was that one receiver? Was it the six foot one, 225 pound receiver that's built like a running back who can block really well? No, it was Devontae Smith and it was 165 pound Devontae Smith because he blocks his ass off. And that's right. the, that's the entire point. And he learned that at Alabama. Despite the fact that he's, you look at him and you're like, there's no way he's a good blocker. He's an amazing blocker. And so when they're going one wide receiver on the field and they're, whether it be Jalen Hurts or running the football with Miles Sanders, they trust Devontae Smith out there even more than a big bodied, very strong physical guy who can block pretty well in A.J. Brown. That tells you a ton. And Alabama's all of their receivers, you know, used to take that mentality. They don't do that anymore. And, you know, with Cameron Latou, they run a lot of that quick screen, get the ball out, you know, stuff. And, and Latou's the one that's asked to make that initial block. And I see him missing it two or three times every game. It's yep. like anytime they run that play and he's the one being asked to block. And he's a pretty good blocker in line. You know, that's that's the thing. Great receiver, whether he's in line or split out wide. Uh, he's a good blocker in line. But just blocking out there in space, he just simply can't do it. So, you know, it, it's unfortunate, Jimmy. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Latu is having a, a good year as a pass receiver, uh, a less than good year as a blocker, and it affects the run game. It affects the short controlled when you use the pass game like it's the run game. And that's what that East-West passing is. And it's, it's an extension of the run game. Uh, Latu has really struggled there. And, uh, you know, in, in terms of why, I wonder if missing all of fall camp might might have, affected his athleticism i mean in terms of like is he really as big and strong as uh as, as he's been at his peak at alabama i'm not sure uh i'm sure missing fall camp didn't help uh maybe it's that but it, it, it's been noticeably bad at times but as you correctly said when he's in line when he's a third tackle he's actually pretty good yeah yeah he, he's been Fine in that area. I mean, I don't think he's been outstanding, but I, I'll watch a lot of times when it comes to, you know, when he's playing in line and I'm like, okay, he got the job done, you know, not terrible. You know, sometimes there's, you know, misses, but I think everybody misses assignments from time to time. But it's like, and I, I would need to go back and actually get the numbers, but it just feels like anytime he's expected to be that guy to get the initial block on one of those, you know, uh, quick passes, 
he's not making it. He, you know, and, and it's not like he's going against some big strong guy. It's because he doesn't have the athleticism to get. The, I think right. the guys are running around him, right. and they're able to make the play. And, and I think that that at some point you're like, all right, this just didn't work. And this is a you're all you're doing is, hey, it, it's second and ten. It's uh, you know, third and eight. It's whatever. Whenever you call it, it doesn't work. And so I think that's a big problem. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we only got a couple more minutes, but we're going to hop back on here and talk, spend, you know, 10, 12 minutes more talking about the defense, and then we'll get out of here. But uh, we appreciate you guys. We'll talk to you guys here in just a minute. Jimmy, we were talking about the offense, and now we'll talk a little bit about the defense. You've already mentioned it. You felt like they had an A-plus performance. You know, what kind of went into your decision for giving them an A-plus? Well, if the game's not about points, I don't know what it's about. I mean, I just uh, uh, had someone uh, uh, criticize one of my uh, my tweets this morning. I, I, I mentioned a statistic that had nothing to do with anything but points scored, and 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 I got the well, statistics will will lie to you sort of thing. And I'm like, you know, are points a statistic? They're sort of what's used to determine who wins and loses the game. It's not like uh, yards per play when the wind is blowing from the south and there's less than a sellout crowd and Fowler and Herb Street are broadcast or are the announcers for the game. I mean, points are how you win and how you lose and there's nothing else. So to me, I, I always start with points and Alabama pitched a shutout for 59 minutes and 59 seconds with Mississippi State only scoring in garbage time uh, not against the complete first-team defense, uh, although there were ones on the field. And uh, while I do think giving up the touchdown, like I said, it was one of my favorite plays of the game because it showed uh, that maybe there is some dog in this in this Bama defense. Maybe there is some some hateful competitors, that uh, a term that Nick used earlier this season. Uh, I, I, I just, you know, giving up six points total to a Mike Leach led offense quarterback by an outstanding quarterback. Will Rogers is really good. Uh, State's a, a, a decent team. I think they'll finish no worse than seven and five, uh, which is a good team. I think if you finish seven and five in the SEC, probably means you're an eight or nine win team in another league, to be honest. Uh, you know, this is a good team. Uh, and 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 just, just giving up those points. And then you could dive a little deeper into the statistics and see, again, holding – State's vaunted passing attack to 100 yards less than their average. Uh, Will Rogers had a statistically poor game. Uh, while State did have some success running the ball, it wasn't enough success to dent the scoreboard, not really. Uh, and, and I like the attitude of four sacks, uh, 17 pass breakups. And, oh, I've forgotten to – here's the most important thing that happened. Uh, not that Terrion Arnold was an issue. I wouldn't say it was an issue or a liability, uh, but Alabama got better at cornerback. Eli Ricks, finally, he had to conquer two things, health. And number two, you got to be out on the field in practice under live bullets to fully understand the new scheme that you're playing in. And Eli had the shoulder in the spring. He had the back in the fall. He's finally healthy, finally knows the playbook. You can put him out there, and he showed – I think Saturday night, exactly why, as a true freshman, he was a third-team All-American. His man-to-man cover skills are outstanding. And while Arnold wasn't a liability, Eli Ricks, due to the his veteran, the veteran nature 
his physical ability. Uh, Alabama has upgraded cornerback for the rest of this season. Yeah, first of all, uh, you know, people are going to talk about the the run success with Mississippi State. I thought it was interesting. Alabama came out in a three two six dime rabbits package where Dallas Turner was essentially playing off ball. Line. He was playing off ball linebacker, and they were sending him a ton when he was lined up in that spot. They were also allowing him on some snaps to, you know, more so play it like a typical linebacker, especially gets the run. I think I did see him dropping coverage once, but I haven't gotten to that part of the film. I'm only through the first half. So still need to go back and watch, but I thought he played pretty well. I thought it was a very interesting look. You know, as the game progressed, they really started doing a lot as far as having him up on the line of scrimmage where it looks like you're going to have a four-man front and then dropping him back to that inside linebacker spot, shifting to a three-man, or they'd be three-man front, and then they'd move him up. And, and, you know, it would create four man. And not only is it just putting an extra body on the line of scrimmage, it's not like a Henry Toa Toa or a Deontay Lawson or a Jalen Moody. It's a guy who's actually supposed to be there. You know, it's a, it's a three, four outside linebacker guy who's big enough to really play some four, three D end if you need him to. And so I thought that that was a really interesting usage. You know, I don't think you're going to see a Rashawn Evans full-time transition from outside linebacker to inside linebacker. But I, I, we had heard about it in the, the offseason as far as certain packages where he was playing as a Mike linebacker, as a you know inside linebacker. We just hadn't really seen it in games too much other than the occasional. You know, there was one where I think him and Chris Braswell both lined up as your two off-ball guys and then were both sent on a gap blitzes against Tennessee. It was kind of a different look. But he was, you know, he looks very fluid playing the position. I was actually pretty surprised. There was, you know, some times where recognition's not fully there. That's to be expected. I mean, you saw that out of Rashawn Evans, too, when he first made that transition. But I, I thought he played well. You know, was that out of necessity? Was that out of, you know, was that due to opponent? I mean, you didn't have, you know, uh, Jaheim Otis. He was out, didn't even suit up. Uh, DJ Dell didn't suit up. You already had Justin Aboigby, who has been out for the last few games. That's your top, you know, three of your top defensive linemen outside of Byron Young. It's three of the top, probably four or five. And so, uh, you know, that's obviously going to deplete what you're able to do. I mean, obviously, Otis and Dale are your top two nose guards. So you've got Tim Smith playing inside. You had, you know, Byron Young playing inside quite a bit, which both roles they're they're pretty used to. That wasn't completely out of the ordinary, but you saw a lot of, you know, Jameer Burroughs. You saw some Jamerian Latham. Uh, you saw some Damon Payne, which was really the first time that we had seen him get some extensive looks. I thought he played pretty well the first time through. But, so, you know, so they were so depleted and they were playing so many different guys that was this out of necessity or was this something that Alabama wanted to do? Obviously, you're against Mississippi State's de- uh, offense, you're going to go a lot of dime. So having six defensive backs in the field for pretty much 98% of the game, which is what it felt like, that was to be expected. But instead of going with a lot of four-man fronts, where you're, you know, a, a four-one, where you only have one linebacker on the field, you were seeing a lot of three-two, and, and that lining up in that kind of front, Mississippi State, they're not really a run-oriented team, and Dylan Johnson was already out, which is one of their top running backs, and then Marks, their other running back, I think he broke his nose or something during the game, and so he was not playing at a hundred percent. He tried to battle through it, and yeah, they were still running the football, and I mean, it was like third and tens, they were running it. It was third and sevens. It was it was crazy how much they were running the football, especially early. And they were trying to kind of run Alabama out of that three-man front. They wanted to get Alabama to adjust to them where they could operate their offense as they normally would, 
And Alabama just said, no, we're not going to do it. We'll, we'll bend. We'll take a bend, but don't break mentality. We'll give up some running yards, but when, or some rushing yards, but when it, it counts, we'll get some stops. And I think that Mississippi State helped Alabama on that front in some ways, you know, with some of the decision making to go for it on fourth down and stuff. But, you know, also Alabama made some plays when they needed to. So very interesting look against uh, Mississippi State's, you know, uh, spread air raid offense. It really was, and uh, that that's exactly right. When I do the rewatch, I suspect, Clint, that uh, I, I don't know that Alabama played a single snap when they weren't in dime. That is huge. It, it shows how it's it's specific to this opponent and their offense. That That's not a normal Alabama thing. Some people might think, well, six DBs, Alabama does that all the time. They do it every game, but I think they normally do it around 10% or 15% at most in most weeks. This week, 100%. So it changes everything about the chess game, right? And and, and and you're exactly right. When Mississippi State knew Alabama would employ the dime against them for the whole game, it's something I believe Alabama has done in the past against Mike Leach. It's just put six DBs out there. And I think State knew it was coming. So they're like, all right, well, if Alabama's going to you know, fill the, the, the playing field with 180-pound defensive backs, then we're going to run the ball. We're going to run right at them. And uh, – and we'll out physical them. Well, it sort of worked. I think it sort of worked. And for some reason, they got away from it uh, once they got behind. But uh, I, I just think it was an obvious response to what Alabama was doing on defense. Yet Alabama uh, still toughened up and uh, and held their own. I will say that I thought Alabama, Pete Golding, uh, Nick Saban, I don't know whose call it was, uh, but I thought they did make a really good adjustment. You really started seeing – Brian Branch gets sent a lot on blitzes to kind of provide extra run support. And he was playing with his hair on fire, man. He was really good in coverage. He had some great moments in coverage, but just putting pressure on the quarterback when the quarterback would drop back, he had a sack in the game. He was phenomenal as far as being a, a late delayed, you know, timing up his blitzes or, or coming off the edge perfectly. and was really getting up there and mixing things up and making state pay because they weren't, it wasn't like they were lining up in a lot of, you know, 11 personnel, 12 personnel, they barely use tight end. In fact, they don't use tight ends. So it's five men, you know, five offensive linemen on the line of scrimmage. When you're bringing him off the edge, there's really nobody too much to account for him if you're running the football. So Alabama adjusted very well with that. And really that's where the 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 success for Mississippi State started to slow down on the ground. And then they completely kind of abandoned it at that point. Did what they're like, okay, we're not going to be able to run Alabama out of this like we thought we would early. And I will say watching that game, that's a, that's the type of performance that you got out of Brian Branch. That's why they want that type of player playing the star. You know, I I think that you can, you know, would Javier Arenas be pretty good at coming off the edge and stuff? Certainly. But just Brian Branch, very active, very physical style of defender. And he does a fantastic job when you start getting him mixed up and coming off the edge, whether it be to help against the run or to get out to the quarterback. Uh, great performance out of him, and I thought it was pretty good adjustment by Alabama's defense. Another question that I had, which is a, a concern that a lot of people have, obviously Henry Toto led both teams in tackles with 13, and that included one tackle for loss. But people were concerned with his play uh, this season. What have you thought about Toto and, and his performance, and, and do you think fans should be concerned or not? Well, I think I'm going to compare him to, uh, to, to Helms. In, the, in this one way, I think DeMarco Hellams uh, is fantastic at what he does. 
and he becomes very helpful and an asset to Alabama. But there's a liability also there that other teams can take advantage of, and Tennessee finally did. Keep in mind that Helms has been on the first team for something like 28 starts, and we never discussed that Helms just isn't good enough until, like, start 28. And to me, that's sort of silly. You know, uh, obviously, he's good enough. Uh, just credit Tennessee for taking advantage of, uh, of, of, the, of creating those matchups. Toho Toho, to me, is outstanding at what he does. But he's also, frankly, an undersized Mike linebacker. He's not big at all. He's got to be, in my, I would think, one of the smaller Mike linebackers in all of the Power Five. I mean, that's how small he is. So, obviously, you can take advantage of some things there. I think he can be overpowered. And I think because, see, a lot of Mike linebackers, and I'm sure Clint was really good at this in high school and even in college, I'm sure uh, a, a lot of Mike linebackers, you know, uh, uh, someone's coming through the hole, so the linebacker takes on the blocker, takes on the blocker, defeats the blocker, and then makes the tackle on the back. Well, Henry's not really that type of player, so he has to slip the block a lot, meaning he's got to sort of avoid the blocker and then still get in on the play. And I think a lot of fans see that as Henry avoiding the contact or missing the ball carrier altogether because he's trying to slip the block because it's kind of how he has to play at his size. And when you add all that up, I think some fans are like, this kid stinks. They don't see all the good that he does. First of all, an outstanding sideline to sideline athlete. He rarely do you get around Henry on the outside place, which is, which is unbelievable to say for a guy who lines up on the inside. He's also pretty good in coverage and where the coaches love him He's literally a coach on the field of getting everybody lined up and getting the play call right. And for those who don't understand how, how important that is, I hereby sentence you to go watch Alabama's inside linebackers in 2019 when it was two true freshmen and they could never get anybody lined up right because they didn't understand the defense themselves. So if you don't think it's important, go watch Alabama play defense in 2019. It's vitally important. And Henry is apparently as good as there's ever been doing it. Uh, and that that's per per Saban and the coaches. Henry is a plus plus at that. He's a a level athlete, and he's a pretty good tackler, and he's a leader. Does he have a weakness? Yes, and for some reason, that's all some people will ever talk about. Yeah, with Toto. First of all, in 2019, it, it was so bad that really the responsibilities for aligning the defense wasn't even on the inside linebackers. You know, it was Shaheem Carter. It was Xavier McKinney. Um, it was a lot of those guys. The responsibility had to fall on others because the the young guys just weren't ready to do it. Um, and, and which Christian, creates problems too. Which creates problems. I mean, it's the it's the band aid solution, but it's not ideal. Yeah, I mean, and, and Christian Harris never really got to that point. Some guys just aren't comfortable being that guy. Toto is a really good player. Uh, I just think he's a lot different than what a lot of Alabama fans are used to as far as their off-ball inside linebackers, right? I mean, he's not an enforcer. He's not going to be a, a tone setter for your defense. He's not going to make these jarring hits. You know, he's not Reuben Foster. You know, he's not Reggie Ragland. Uh, you know, he's not Rolando McClain and being just this this physically impressive 
you know, intimidator on the inside of your defense. I don't think he's got the explosiveness to be able to create the jarring hits that a that it were Sean Evans had. Uh, what I do think that he does well is he, he's very intelligent. He does know how to get guys lined up. One thing that I was thinking about during the Tennessee game when, when the Vols were going tempo is wouldn't it be nice if you had a, a player who was so intelligent on the field that you could essentially trust him to be your defensive play caller during the game? And instead of having to have everybody turn and look at the coaching staff, it's everybody kind of, it's Henry calling out because he's making calls out anyways and making adjustments. Why not just have him, you know, calling the defense? And I'm not saying that that's, I'm saying that if you had a guy who was that intelligent, it would be nice. Now, granted, when things go wrong, uh, if you're a, a defensive coordinator or a head coach, you'd probably be like, oh, I would have done things differently. I don't know how well that would work, but it's just something I thought about. And if anybody would be capable of doing that, I think it would be Toe Toe. But there are some physical limitations, and it's not just size. You know, I think, uh, you know, Christian Harris, he was six foot, I think 228 is what he, he was at, or 226, I guess, at the combine. I don't think he played much bigger than that at Alabama. Reuben Foster was six one, you know, less than 230, so around that same size. So it's not necessarily a size issue. It's that he doesn't have the complementary you know, he's got fine closing speed. He's a fine athlete, definitely not a problem in, in, in either one of those two areas. But Christian Harris was a better athlete. You know, he's running down there in the four fours at, at right. his size. You know, Reuben Foster had some of the best burst and closing speed that I've ever seen from a linebacker. Uh, he was a heat-seeking missile. Do we really view Henry Toto in that way? No. But I, I think that he gets a lot of, you know, ba- uh, he gets a bad rap for, just being different than what a lot of Alabama fans are used to didn't make him a bad player, but you know, it just, it makes him different. So Jimmy, I guess that's probably going to do it for this episode. What, what, for, I guess before we hop out of here, what did you think about the pass rush? What did you think about Will Anderson and, and just those guys after last week? Oh, uh, Will was okay. I thought the pass rush was improved. I thought the pressure on Will Rogers was good. It was, it, it wasn't what it needs to be. Uh, I think the pass rush has uh, been outstanding all year, and uh, there's been hiccups the last couple of weeks, hiccups. Uh, I, I, I don't believe in any way that, that the pass rush has gone away. I, I, I think down the stretch they'll be great. Uh, it's the best unit on the team is the outside linebacker group with Will and Dallas and Braswell, and I think the, down the stretch they'll be really good. Uh, I'm, I'm highly optimistic as to how they'll finish. Uh, I think they played fine, uh, just less than uh, what they're capable of. Uh, and, and that's two weeks in a row there for me in terms of like, ah, I've seen them play better. It's good. It's good. I'm not saying, boy, where do those guys go? Why'd they go on vacation? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I've seen them better. They were better against Mississippi State a year ago, to be frank, uh, that, that, that outside group with, with Will and Dallas. So uh, good needs to be better, will be better. Have 100% confidence in that group. Yeah, I think they did really well considering, you know, it was a lot of three-man front usage. You know, last week we talked about that a lot, and, you know, uh, it was a a lot of double and triple teams on Will Anderson when that kind of thing happens. I think Alabama a lot of times when they had Dallas Turner as an off-ball linebacker, they were sending him, so they were still sending four. Uh, But you did see some three-man rushes in certain instances. I I thought Pete Golding did a much better job with his – you know, pressures and where, where he was bringing it from. He started bringing Brian Branch a lot. You were sending, you know, Henry Toto a lot. You had Dallas Turner lined, off, lined up as an off-ball linebacker being sent on a lot of blitzes. You even saw Kool-Aid McKinstry, even though it was kind of late 
and the play developed to the opposite side, which kind of took him out of it a little bit. Um, you know, he got sent on a blitz. So I think they're trying to get creative in how they pressure quarterbacks. And just with this, I don't know if it was defensive line related and just the limitations that they had there. I don't know if it was going against, you know, Mike Leach and and that Mississippi State offense, if that's why they went with this kind of three, two, six Don Rabbits look, or if that's something that you'll see more of. It will be very dependent. You know, they're not going to line up in that, you know, probably against Tennessee because Tennessee can make you pay on the ground a lot more and be a lot more consistent with it, even though I think that that might be something they try if, if you know, Tennessee, if they were to play them again or something, they would have a lot of success. We'll just have to wait and see. But getting back to Eli Ricks very quickly, I do think he had a phenomenal performance. Um, I will say this. As an Alabama fan, it, it, I'm sure it's frustrating to see the success that he had against Mississippi State and to think what if against Tennessee. First of all, who got torched? It, it wasn't, even though Arnold had some pass interferences, even though he gave up, you know, he was targeted quite a bit and he did give up some plays, none of the explosive plays to Jalen. Jalen Hyatt didn't catch anything on Tyrion Arnold. It was Ramel Keaton and some of those guys, Brew McCoy. So it, it wasn't his fault, you know, all the touchdowns and stuff. That's first and foremost. Secondly, Nick Saban is going to put an emphasis, he always has, on doing everything the right way, doing it the correct way. And as an Alabama fan, you might say, well, Ricks is just, I mean, look what he was able to do for you. You put him out there and he was incredible. You just got to suck it up and say, some guys are just not practice guys. Just throw them out there for the game. If Alabama would have taken that approach throughout the years, Alabama's program would not be Alabama's program. Like they might be better at corner this particular year, but having that mentality of we'll let somebody, some guys get by with it, but others we won't. You know, that that's that's how a lot of teams and, and programs operate. This has been one of the core pillars of Nick Saban's program is, hey, I don't care how good you are. You approach practice the right way. You do things the right way. And until you're able to prove to us that you can, we're not going to play you. And and look at the way he performed once he got out there. He was a freshman All-American at LSU, a third-team All-American as a freshman at LSU. So it's not like he didn't have the talent. But I also think he might be better served because Nick. what did Nick Saban say in the postgame? He said he practiced a lot better this week, you know, he, he, which means he took the correct approach. He did things a lot more like the way that Saban wants them and the way that Alabama wants them. And I think he's going to be a much better player over the course of the rest of the season as a result of that. So I don't think you're getting the Eli Ricks if he's playing all year and you give him passes. Hey, you know, we really want you to do things the right way, but if you don't, if you want to do them the way that you want to do them, um, you know, you're above that. We'll just hold everybody else to the Bama standard except you because you're a really good player. I, I know that that's what some people want. It's not how he operates. And, and if he took that approach, I don't think you would see, you would have seen six national championships, SEC championships, uh, you know, winning against unranked opponents and the record, you know, the, the stretch they had there against, you know, former assistants and all these things. And it's a huge reason why Alabama players get drafted highly into the NFL because they know that at Alabama there's a standard, and if you don't live up to that, if you don't do the little things the right way, you're not going to play, and they trust that. So they they want those kind of players on their rosters. So I don't think you see the, the same amount of success from a draft perspective. So that's kind of my two cents on that. It, it's frustrating, but Alabama is still in the hunt. They're, they control their own destiny, and now you've got an Eli Rex, who I feel like is a better player for having to sit. I think he's a lot more motivated. He knows that it's not going to be handed to him 
everything he did on on Saturday against Mississippi State, he earned it, every bit of it, whether it be during the game or prior to the game. He knew he was out there because he worked his tail off and he earned his spot. So that's my two cents on it. Jimmy, you got anything else before we hop out of here? No, no. You just He played outstanding. It, it was time. It was time. It was the right time. Everything with Saban is the right time. There are still people upset about our quarterback usage in 2017 when Jalen was the quarterback all year and Tua was a true freshman and Tua didn't really uh, become the quarterback until the second half of game 15. Uh, here's <laughs> Alabama won the national championship because Saban handled the timing of all of it perfectly. He's the greatest to ever do it. And, and to me, this Rick's thing is sort of similar. It was it wasn't time earlier. You could have messed up Rick's earlier. You could have messed up the defense early. It wasn't time until it was time. Nick Saban knows this stuff better than anybody's ever done it. And Tua became a better player for it. Jalen would later become a better player for it. And now Eli Ricks, freshman All-American, he's going to be a better player for it. Yeah, and I mean, you can't argue with the results. I mean, obviously, the Tennessee game, would it have worked out a little bit differently as possible? But I don't think that from the overall uh, output that Tennessee put up, some people would say, hey, well, maybe you should have had Arnold, Ricks, and Kool-Aid all on the field at the same time. No. Like, that, they hadn't practiced that. I mean, they, we we know that even though Kool-Aid had seen some some time at star and he was forced to play it, uh, was it against Texas? No, it wasn't against Texas. Arkansas, maybe? It was Arkansas. It was uh, Arkansas. Uh, he played star for three snaps against someone. I think but... it was Arkansas because Brian Branch did go out in that game. Yeah, that's so, probably true. Yeah, it might have been Texas, though. I don't know. I, anyways, point being, he he had to place a little bit of star, and Nick Saban says he has practiced there, but he also admitted that while he was in there doing that, the safeties were having to tell him what he was supposed to do on a snap-snap basis uh, because he hadn't played it enough. And when you're going against Tennessee, it's like, I mean, you just that was not the time to make that adjustment. And and it might be something that they do moving forward, certainly something they could do moving forward, but it, that was not in the moment the time for it. Ricks was not the solution other than maybe getting some stuff cleaned up and getting better play at, at on the perimeter, which maybe could have made a difference. It was only a three-point loss, but overall, I think the result's probably pretty similar. So bottom line, it's working out for Alabama. It feels like, you know, I still believe in Terry and Arnold, still believe in the depth, but now that you've got Eli Rick stepping up, I think Kool-Aid pr- played extremely well against Mississippi State. Um, you know, I did find it interesting that early on, even though they, I think they went at Rick's first, Really, uh, Kool-Aid became the guy that they were wanting to target over Ricks, which I found very interesting. And then Kool-Aid held up pretty darn well. And then they started testing Ricks a little bit later on. They both ended up getting 10-plus targets. Um, both had four pass breakups. So great performance by both, both those two guys and, and great performance by Alabama's defense overall. You look at the run game and the fact they didn't stop the, the run well at times, don't be concerned with that. That is strictly based off of the looks that Alabama gave them, and it was that was by design. Like, there was nothing more that Mike Leach wanted than for Alabama to adjust to stop the run. He was he was begging them to do it. He was running on third and 10, saying, hey, I'm going to keep running the football until you adjust and you allow me to operate my, my normal offense. And Alabama stayed steady and calm. They didn't overreact. They said, we'll give that to you all. And Nick Saban said it. We'll let you run on us all day if you only score in six points. And that's exactly what happened. And really, the six points wasn't until the final play of the game. 
so it, this defensive game plan worked out to perfection for what Alabama wanted. So, I mean, you got Will Rogers who had 60 pass attempts, only threw for 231 yards, that's 3.9 yards per attempt. Running backs are expected to have more yards per carry than that. So that should tell you everything you need to know. All right, Jimmy, anything else before we hop out of here? No, no, just ready for this uh, bye week, and we'll be back next Monday, uh, our first show after a bye week. So uh, next Monday be uh, reviewing what's happened up to date and then a, uh, a preview of LSU, which, uh, hey, when you're in the playoff race this deep in the season, uh, the LSU game becomes the most important game on, on Alabama's schedule all season long. 100%, man. And, yeah, and uh, it's unfortunate for the Ole Miss game that they lost. It would have been nice to go to Oxford with a top-10 matchup and just the hype that would have surrounded that. But at the same time, it, it makes the LSU game all the more important. LSU will be a big, big test for Alabama. So we'll see how that goes. All right, Jimmy, appreciate you hopping on here with me. I also appreciate, you know, everybody tuning in. Like I've said in all the recent podcasts, definitely, if you haven't already, go give us a five-star review. I don't think you realize how much that helps us. And leave a, a positive review. And that way we can show our bosses and say, hey, us doing this, because this takes a while as far as, you know, recording it and then editing it, getting it out. You know, it takes up a lot of time. But if it's worth it to you guys, certainly let us know that so we can let our bosses know that, you know, it, it is worth all the effort that we're putting into it. Uh, but I love talking with Jimmy about this stuff every Monday. And, you know, I, I am certainly looking forward to it next Monday. Even though there's not a game, we'll have plenty to talk about. So appreciate everybody that listens in. This is the Bam on 3 show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.